0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. When employers ask employees to sign non-compete agreements, what exactly is it they're requesting? In what industries do these agreements make sense? High finance? Companies with trade secrets? What about fast food frontline workers? Brian Albrecht is with the International Center for Law and Economics. We discussed non-competes and why he believes that, at least at this point... We don't know enough to say that a proposed federal ban makes any sense. Can you give me the best use case for an employee-employer relationship where uh, some no-compete provision or requirement makes sense? Uh,
1: Anytime the skill or the thing that is being taught to the employee is something that they can take with them. That makes a lot of sense. For example, if a big thing that you're getting in your job is something like a client list and you're putting your employer is putting you in front of all of these different clients. So you're a realtor or something. Oh, you meet all these people. That's basically what your job is. Is like creating a new company Uh, and then that's going to be something that you could take with you and potentially compete. And so in order to get you to, you know, commit to your current company and to not kind of up and run with all of these valuable assets that the company is giving you, then you sign a non-compete to say, no, I'm not going to leave and go to the next realtor. I'm going to stick with you guys.
0: Okay. But we have
1: seen, and what about financial services? A similar client list is a big one within financial services. You know, the company is going to put you in front of all their clients. They don't want you to up and run. Uh, medical services is another one. You know, you take a job at a, at a hospital, with lots of people come in, owe you up and
0: leave and start a private practice that takes those customers with you. So I worked in broadcasting for many years and it was well understood at least in television, I worked primarily in radio, but worked in TV for a little bit. It was well understood in television that if you had a contract as like a news anchor, as a personality on a a local TV station that you would sign a no compete for several months, there would be sort of an embargo of your face appearing on uh, another channel for uh, many months, several months, I think. And, uh, I never understood exactly why, but it was, I think in a sense to protect the interests of the station to not let you use their platform to become a notable personality in the community and then immediately go to another station and take that audience with you. So in your view, how legitimate is, is that kind of a no compete?
1: Well, I can't speak to, uh, radio and tv specifically i don't know the details of that industry but conceptually it makes a lot of sense to me there what you're taking with is not the client list it is you know the implicit client list or the implicit people who know you which are the fans and so the company is worried that okay they're going to give you all this attention they want it to be associated with the you know the news station with the uh television station whatever it is but in that process, it's impossible to disentangle it from you, the talent. And so one way to kind of keep control of that asset uh, is, to, is to have these non-competes that allows them to kind of prevent you from taking the, your big name and moving somewhere else. I should say it's also you know, in your benefit to sign it because now they're going to put you in front of people and they're not going to be trying to like cycle through that so that no one gets a big name.
0: So uh, I have seen... Uh, no competes extended to, you know, unskilled work—work work that doesn't require a great deal of training. There's no risk of a of a client list going with you. The skills you're learning are not trade secrets. Ah, uh, the things that you're doing are are not likely to vanish when you do. Ah, uh, so what you know? What is the argument then for no competes in low-level ah uh, employment? Yeah, it's maybe not a
1: as strong of an argument. And this is the type of thing that we need to kind of figure out over time and, and figure out the exact details of it. Uh, because it's the standard argument that I gave, like the client list definitely doesn't imply. But you have to think about what the problem is for, let's say, the classic example is Jimmy John's. Jimmy John's had uh, line workers making sandwiches that had to sign non-competes. Now, Jimmy Johns was able to get out of their lawsuit because they never enforced them and there was no indication that they never enforced them. But let's imagine that they possibly could have. Okay, what could be the potential benefit of it. There could be downsides. We can talk about those later. What could be the benefits? Well, one of the huge things that uh, these types of industries, particularly fast food, have to deal with is turnover. I remember a few years back hearing a stat, something like McDonald's fills every position more than two times in a year because people are staying for less than six months on average then. So by signing a non-compete, what you're basically saying is i'm intending to stay there at the company and therefore you should invest in me now it's not investing in me in the same way that investing in you know a, a ceo or a high skilled engineer is but companies are still putting assets to train you to try to, to get to hire you it costs money to hire new people and so it, again, it's probably a slightly stronger, uh, weaker argument of why these are necessary. But you could still imagine a case in which they do benefit the employee by showing, "Hey, I'm not going to leave for you know the next fast food restaurant that gives me a twenty cent an hour raise."
0: So, uh, I guess the argument broadly from uh, people who would like to do away with no competes in- entirely is that they suppress wages for. People who work in, in various industries.
1: Yeah, so there's some evidence. Uh, the best evidence that we have coming out of 2008 ban in Oregon that wages are suppressed. So wages rose more after the ban was removed which implicitly means the ban was restricting wages, and that this effect was the largest on the lowest wage earners. We have other evidence uh, that looks at higher skilled workers like doctors and CEOs and finds that they have higher wages when they sign non-competes. And so sometimes it'll lead to higher wages, sometimes it'll lead to lower wages. But it's not just about wages, it's about things like turnover, like we want employees to get better jobs and be able to move to better situations. So Higher turnover may be better for a labor market. you, you know you get you find a better match with your employee. employee, but it could also be a sign of a worse situation, like in the McDonald's case, they have too much turnover. That's a cost that's a, not a good thing. And so these non-competes kind of slow down turnover, but that's exactly the point that you know, you're not hiring new people each and every week. and so there's cost and benefits like
0: everything. So in evaluating how uh, the feds are thinking about this, what what are the what's what do they put out there and say this justifies some sort of uh, federal intervention into labor markets?
1: So they see it as a unfair method of competition. The Federal Trade Commission is is charged with stopping unfair methods of competition, and by by kind of locking your employees up, as as the perspective goes, that is an unfair method of competition. Now they cite things like this two three percent number. And extrapolate that to the whole economy, and says, you know, some research says that when we uh, we ban non-competes, wages rise by three percent. Therefore, if we do this for everyone, wages in the U.S. would go up three hundred billion dollars. Is the number that they throw out there. So they think that they can, if they're, if we believe what they have in their uh, uh, proposed rulemaking document,
0: they believe that they'll raise wages three hundred billion dollars per year. Is it fair to extrapolate to the entire economy uh, these kinds of agreements? Because I can imagine that there are uh, at least industries where the employee always has the upper hand, where the, the competitiveness is always on getting the most talented people in the door and trying to keep them uh, as 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 best you can. But Those employees have so many options. And if there's a no-compete on the table, those employees just walk away.
1: Yes. And so this is the situation in which in order to get them to sign it, you have to kind of promise them something else. So this is the argument of why we see higher wages for doctors that sign non-competes. The idea is I'll get you to I'm a I'm a hospital, I'm looking to hire you, you will sign a non-compete. If I pay you a little bit more, and then you know that process takes place over time, and so you have a higher trajectory through time as well. I think we should be really hesitant about extrapolating too much from the micro to the macro, even from the state level to the the U.S. economy. Uh, John List has this book called *The Voltage Effect* that just came out, talking about how when we scale up policies. The, the effects greatly diminish. And he's usually looking at, like, from one firm to a bunch of firms. But I think we've found the same thing again and again. Uh, when you scale up kind of from one state to another, these effects aren't as great as we, we kind of hope they are, both good and bad. You know, it's just, it's just that there are lots of margins that people can adjust on. And so the effects are all kind of muted as we get bigger and bigger. So what should be what's the correct policy here
0: in your view? That's uh, something I'm very hesitant to suggest. Well, then, what are what are what are, what are you most concerned about being negative effects, and what are you most concerned about losing in terms of positive effects with this change?
1: Yeah, I'm most concerned about so. There's kind of two two stages. One is this policy in and of itself, and then I think what it means for the FTC. So, this policy in and of itself, I think we just don't know the effects of non-competes and the value that they're they're adding. Uh, as well as we would like, this is a relatively new field in terms of study. We're talking about ten years of economic, serious economic research on non-competes. Uh, and and some find beneficial effects, some find negative effects. And we just don't know kind of the ins and outs when they're helpful when they're not. And so, in a world where we don't know these things as well as I would like, I'm hesitant for a nationwide ban, especially something coming out of three commissioners in the FTC. I'm more in favor of of kind of this learning by doing each state, different judges kind of figuring out, oh, these are situations in which the benefits of the non-compete exceed the cost. These are situations where it's reversed and therefore the court won't enforce these non-competes against uh, low-skilled workers, but they will allow non-competes against CEOs. And so, I'm really in favor of a uh, discovery process that kind of takes it takes longer. And that's one of the downsides of it. If we know for certain that, if I knew for certain that wages would go up $300 billion, like the FTC claims, they will. I think that that effect would trump any concern I have. That is just such a large number. I'm just not as confident in our ability to know that. And so I trust more on the micro level, more on the individual employer, employee level for them to find beneficial relationships instead of a policy that needs to affect everyone.
0: And we've seen, at least in the last three years or so, some pretty wild swings in labor markets with how businesses are doing compensation with uh, the various bennies that uh, businesses are trying to throw at employees. So maybe uh, one of the uh, silver linings of this awful pandemic will be a lot of new data to tell us uh, how labor markets respond to uh, these kinds of incentives. Absolutely. I mean, there's been a
1: widespread concern for about 10 years or since the Great uh, great Recession that the labor market is, is slow, it's timid, unemployment was dropping slowly. And now since the COVID recession, that's completely reversed. Wages are, are rising rapidly, even more rapidly than inflation. Labor markets are tight. There's very few openings, Uh, Employers are having a hard time finding employees, which means that people have good jobs and they're not just, you know, taking the first thing that comes along. And so we're in a very different labor market than we were, you know, definitely two years ago, but very different than we were ten years ago. And guess what? All of the data we have is really from the 2008 to 2012, 2016 kind of period where everyone says labor markets are are sluggish. And so maybe. Who knows, when labor markets are tight like they seem to be right now, these effects and the way that these non-competes are used are completely different. Again, I just don't know. And no one knows because the studies on this are so recent.
0: Brian Albrecht is chief economist at the International Center for Law and Economics. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.